Welcome, everyone, to episode 21 of the Walls Within podcast, as we host Jamie McLennan, a former NHL goaltender, goalie coach, current hockey analyst, and author. Noodles joins us today to share his journey through hockey, highlighting some of the funnier moments, but also touching on anxiety and how it played a role in his career. Tune in to find out what happens to a mascot who taunts, and what it's like to come off the bench as a backup goalie. If you have a chance, find his book on Amazon titled The Best Seat in the House to find out what made him so beloved to teammates throughout his career as he remains the only goalie actively suspended by the NHL. Jamie, thanks for being here. Um, You and I go back quite a ways, actually, to the beginning almost of my professional career. You were, I want to say, the third goalie coach that rolled through town in Calgary's organization. Uh, I had Wendell Young, David Marcoux, and then you were brought in as you wrapped up your career. Um, and I'll never forget, like one of the things that I, I spoke with Dave about was we were trying to get you on here was I was wearing Vaughn gear back in the day. And I, I don't know if Kip was still wearing Vaughn or he had switched to Bauer. And one of the cool things about wearing gear in the NHL is a lot of times team companies will give you money or they'll give you swag. Right. And so I remember at training camp, Vaughn gear showed up and all the swag came with it. And it was given to you as the goalie coach, a long time Vaughn wearer, and I got absolutely nothing. And I'm sitting here wondering, why is this guy getting all the cool stuff? And I'm I'm supposed to be playing in this gear, supposedly on TV every now and then. And Vaughn sent me nothing, but it just cracked me up. And I was like, okay, I get it. You got you to gotta have a little bit of loyalty because I think you were a long time Vaughn wearer, weren't you? Old career. Old career, I was a Vaughn like you thought about signing a deal, that was my deal. Hey, we'll give you a hand of a t-shirt. <laughs> Everyone else, Let's forget that like, backpack. There was a there was a backpack. Like it was honestly, it, it's so. Like I look back on it, and there would be people like and and I'd say this respectfully. I'd be like, I'm better than that guy. Like you know, like you you always as a goalie and as a player, you always compare yourself and go. I think I'm just as good as that guy, but that guy makes 500 grand more than me. He's got a deal here. Like, you know, he's got all these things and they just, they fall all over themselves to sign this guy to like, I remember talking to ITAC. It was like, can I get a, you know, can I get something? Can you buy me a studio? I don't even, I bought it out for a person, but I'm like, everybody gets studios. They're like, nah, you know, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll give you some gift certificates to Swiss Chalet. I'm like, all right, I'll take them. It's just like, my God, like it just, there, there are certain people that, in, and, and, and Curtis, you can speak to this. There's certain people that just have this aura around them where people just die to, you know, I, I got to be around that guy. I got to give him money. I got to give him. And there's other people like, he's a nice guy. I feel like I'm going to buy him lunch. You know, like that, I was like the lunch guy. I always got like, I think people showed me respect, but it was never, there was never money there. There is no monetary compensation for it. I, yeah, there must have just bitten, like you said, like a lip that came off us. Like, and I don't know if mine was just more desperate. Like, I need something beyond free sticks here. Like, throw throw me something, maybe a Lululemon gift card, anything, and I'll be thrilled. You put me over the moon. But yeah, it never came. I do remember the one time, and it, I I laughed with the Vaughn. Vaughn had a deal, like just a it was an incentive based games played type deal. But on the deal was. I would get 500 bucks if I was the starting goalie for the Canadian Olympic team. 
Now, is that a one-time five hundred or for every hour you're wearing the stuff and appearing? That was a one-off, and it was another five hundred bucks for wearing the Vezina. And you know, just these things that were so outlandish that you were almost insulted that they didn't like just take some white out and scratch it out of the the actual contract. So, um, if they were like, "We will give you fifty million dollars if you are like," they go the other way. It's like literally, if you started starting goal for like we we are so confident you will not achieve this. We will give you the, this insane amount of money. Like I would rather that they instead of five hundred be like. We will give you five hundred million dollars if you are the starting goalie for Team Canada. Like you know, something where it's like you, you just want to show it to somebody and be like, "Hey, this is the deal I've signed, an insane deal with Bond." But instead, yeah. it's like you're right, five hundred bucks for something that you realistically like. I have no chance of doing that based on you know my peers and who's in line and how much playing time I'm going to have. Like my pleasure when it was all insulting. I oh, I feel like the five hundred dollars. I'd rather have the ten million. It's more than you know that. Yeah, at least you have a shot of it, right? Like at least you can you, you can dream and go. Well, I, I think I could make this happen. Well, it's even one of those things now. Like I look at the landscape for like Canadian goalies, and um, someone asked me the other day on a podcast. It's like, well, who who did you take? And I was going through the rolodex of individuals who I'd take, and I mean, would Biddington be like the top guy right now? Or, or or one of these up and coming kids, I feel like you're almost going with one of these young guys. Or who else is out there that is on that radar? Of, I mean, it just seemed like it was a we always had somebody Kemper, yeah. But it it's a cycle right now, and right now that's a downtrend because mm-hmm. for for us to even sit there and go, it's not clear cut price. It's not clear cut like where you're going, Team Russia has a five pack they could put out there and it like you take all five of those guys right where yeah. you know you're sitting there going okay for canada yeah maybe it's camper maybe it's bennington maybe it's carter hart you know maybe it's this kid hofer joel hofer that's up and coming in st louis is it the kid um uh in, in buffalo right at the end of the year played a couple games of drawn a blank from the same devon levi um yeah. you know like but you have no idea what they're you know, Flurry's now 38. So you're like the cycle is now it's lean. I need somebody else to step up and, and go, okay, I, I've gone. Because you only need one person. Everyone thinks you need three or four. Even the US, like, you know, you're going to have Ottinger, Hellebuck, uh, Demko. Like, there's some guys that you could go, hey, we, we're, we're covered off here. But in Canada, yeah. I think you would be by group. There's nobody that is pushed through into that like super elite status right now so you know it's uh yeah uh, we will be interesting to keep an eye on it when that situation actually presents itself whether it's that or it's the world cup of hockey i know that's been kicked around a little bit so um see other and they'll have a crease crisis no but i think that's a cycle my son and spot we're just starting to get into minor hockey and I did like a Q&A in front of like 600 volunteers. We were just sitting BSing. And they said like, you know, do you want your son to be a goalie? And I go, hell no. And they're like, why? And I said, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I said, what is the hot button topic in Toronto talking about a former Toronto goaltender who signed at Edmonton? And they're like, yeah, I'm Jack Campbell. You know, he's been a bust in Edmonton. I go, you realize he signed five years at $5 million. I said, you know who makes $5 million? 
most third-line left wingers. I said, nobody's talking about Blake Coleman's contract in Calgary. Uh, and I said, he signed six years at 4.8. But I said, Jack Campbell, all of a sudden, it's complete bust of a person, or not person, of a, of a player. And, and I'm going, he makes $5 million, and people are making such a big deal about it, where, you know, Tyler Myers is uh, the number five defenseman for Vancouver Canucks. I don't know where he is. He makes $6 million. Like, it, it, yeah. it, 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 I said, do I want my son, if he ever was good enough to make the NHL, I go ahead tell him to be a third-line left winger, be a solid one, and, and, and make 3 to $5 million a year instead of signing as a starting goaltender and craft gone. So I was joking, but not joking, thinking out loud about it. I'm going like, right now, the goaltending position, it's not... It's disrespected. Like you only notice when you don't have goaltending, not when you have good goaltending. You're like, yeah, you should stop the puck. But you know, him, him, it, it's just a weird, like it's a weird position that mating goaltenders are in right now. Well, I and I, I think obviously you know better than anyone. I mean, it's such a highly scrutinized position that there's no escaping when things don't go your way, right? And and everything feels magnified, like that third line guy can kind of fly under the radar. Sure, they're not as productive as they may have wanted to be, but at the end of the day, it seems like when the goalie messes up in any capacity, it's an issue. It's a big issue. So, you know, why don't we dive back into kind of your journey through your career, which started on Long Island. Dave obviously has some strong connections back to the island there. Um, I think it was just one of those unique places. You came in there at an interesting time as things were kind of turning over after all those Stanley Cups. Um, if you could just kind of like go back and share some stories from the beginning there, and we'll kind of work our way through your career. You played, ended up playing, it looks like 254 games in the NHL. So um, certainly quite the journey, and it, it took you all over. And um, So if we could start there and just kind of get into how it all began. Well, yeah, drafted third round, man, with the amount of teams in it. So I was 48th overall. So I guess that would be kind of second round nowadays. But um, I was a second ranked goalie in the, in the draft that year. So it was kind of cool. You know, I knew I was going to go. I was 19. So I knew I, back then they had, I think, 11 rounds or 12 rounds. So I knew I was going to at some place fall. But I go to the Islanders and, you know, you talk about it. That's a storied franchise. Like you have, Bill Torrey is the GM, Hall of Famer GM. You got Al Arbor, Hall, Hall of Fame coach. And they they got a like they're not that far removed from a dynasty. Like really, it's it's the Islanders and the Oilers. That was it. Like those were two teams that dominated, you know, the the eighties and then early nineties, it's kind of wide open. And so I go there and you want to talk about intimidating. Like you go into training camp and there's Al Arbor. Like I'm like that guy I've seen on TV, like cups and and you know bill tory you know very very legendary very kind man um awesome i get the i get the training camp there's a number with a good junior player so i did work hard um i told you guys off air and i'm sure we'll talk about it on air like i was a high anxiety guy so i you know was always nervous and over you know, I overthought things a million times. I lived the game in my head long before I ever played it, which was sometimes really counterproductive. Not sometimes, mostly all, but I was able to channel my energy. So I get to training camp 
And I'm, I remember first practice, like Mick Bakota, you know, fourth line, right winger, tough guy comes down the wall and he blasts a shot shelf. And I'm like, now this is for it's like everyone can shoot the puck. Everyone's a great right. player. Like, and th- these are men. You know, I've got body, the baby fat, body fat. You know, I'm like, I'm just like, not a man. I'm a little strive. You know, I have to think work. And I was like, I'm going to go for a 30 minute run. No stretching, no nothing. Go out the front door, run 15 minutes, run 15 minutes back. And I, you know, I'm in great shape. Like, I, I had so much to learn that first training camp. That was part of, you know, settling in. But I did, surprisingly enough, kind of adapt to the point where they wanted me to turn pro. They didn't send me back to junior as a 20-year-old. So they signed me to a three-way contract because there were five goalies in the system. They kept three at the NHL level because Mark Fitzpatrick had a rare blood disorder. that, And whenever he'd get sick... He would flare up. They would send him to the minors to rehab, and they would bump me to the East Coast League. So that first year, I was on the move. I played like 30 games in Richmond at the East Coast League, and then I played like 20-some in the Capital District Islanders. It was our farm team. And I remember, here's the other thing. My goalie coach is a guy named Billy Smith, the legendary goalie. And I'm like, this guy is, you know, He's a very intense individual, but his whole thing was mental development. I, 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 I'll never forget him saying this. I would, I was trying to make saves in practice. He's like, "Why are you working so hard?" He goes, "Just stand there, and seven out of ten will hit you." And I'm like, "Well, that's, that's really a good save percentage." Yeah, I'm like, and, and what happened was I opened up, and a guy rolled his wrist at the last second, and it hit me in the nuts, and it like dropped me. And he goes, that's what you get for chasing the puck. He goes, come out, set your angle, you know, be the, be, forced him to go around you. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, and everything with him was about how you conducted yourself, how you were perceived. Um, you know, work ethic was kind of, I wouldn't say secondary, but it was the mental approach. How were you going to be dialed into the game? How were you going to be in the heads of the shooter? And I, I he was awesome. I know it's funny because the perception of Billy was, you know, you know, dirty player thought, battling Billy. Bill. Like, there's, there's, if you Google it, you go onto YouTube, he fights Lanny McDonald, he drops his gloves, they square off in front of the net. I'm like, this guy is like it, insanity, but he was awesome for me. But he was, it's, uh, yeah, go ahead there. It, it's no, it's amazing because I, I grew up, uh, one of my home rinks was Kaniac Park in Hicksville as a kid and I had the opportunity to meet Billy Smith and, and his retirement is strange because he wasn't going to be the third goalie. I think Al Arvid wanted him to stay on as a practice goalie. And he's like, Nope, he had a he had a year on his contract left and he left. And the deal was like, if he didn't play that last year of his contract, then he owed them three years as a goalie coach. Really? And that, that is how he wound up as the goalie coach for the hours. And, um, so so I had an opportunity to meet him. I think it was probably, I was maybe 13. I think I was playing Bantams and we were at Kaniac Park and I had the opportunity to meet Billy Smith after an hour of his practice. We were in the rink for something. I think I was with my brother and uh, and I remember talking to him about that. And and I remember being in absolute awe over standing in front of a 17-year NHL or 19-year pro or something like that. 
and I was in awe of Billy Smith and his four Stanley Cups and but the kind of guy like intense, just an intense, but nice, nice guy. But you could tell the intensity streak, right? I mean, and then and that came out in the week. But but it was, what a gentleman on the, you know, it took time for the kid, you know, thirteen year old kid. I was enamored uh, by by his presence. So did you channel a lot of that intensity? Huh? Because I'm assuming that he probably wanted some of that out of you too. Like, how do you? When Billy Smith comes to you and says, we need some intensity, we need a little fire. And because you don't really strike me as like the fire guy. I mean, you, you got a pretty easygoing personality, like how you kind of flip that switch and all of a sudden channel, let's just call it a little bit of inner Billy Smith. Like how does that come out in you? Yeah. Do you channel it in the right direction or is it somehow, somehow come out misguided and kind of in the wrong way? Except this, this is, this is a mascot named Buddy the Puffin, okay? This guy was the mascot for the Toronto Maple Leafs farm team. Um, yeah, there it is. Like It's like a toucan Sam or whatever. <laughs> um, so, crazy Billy Smith story is Vincent gets hurt, and he gets sent down to the minors. So I'm in the East Coast League, and I get this call in the middle of the night, literally, 2 o'clock in the morning from our coach showing you are going to the NHL tomorrow to back up Steve Weeks. So he's playing. Um, so I get, I end up in the NHL the next day from the East Coast League to back up. My plane, as it's landing, it's, it's flying, flying from Richmond or Washington to LaGuardia. It hits a flock of birds. So I get delayed and I literally am running into the rape Long Island with a cop buddy of mine who like got me through security everything with my bag and I make it for warm up and literally like three weeks had been old like two games in a row before that right for Arnold walks in and goes hey dude thanks for showing up and I'm literally like I miss warm up I'm just getting and I'm like almost crying and he goes you better be ready that guy's been pulled two games in a row and I'm like oh my god please don't get pulled please don't get pulled so Weeks he makes it through the game. They send me down to now the AHL team because they end up calling up, I think, like Danny Lorenz, the guy who was ahead of me in the depth chart. Yeah. So so my first ever AHL game is on the Rock in Toronto's farm team. It's like St. John's Maple Leafs. So we play oh, Tuesday, places. Thursday. Yeah, so they, they send me out there, but I've never played in front of Billy Smith. So... I'm like, okay, I better have a good showing. It's my goalie coach is there, you know, which course coach. And so I get there and I'm not lying. I skate out for the same, you know, for the, for the game and I'm scraping my crease and they've got this mascot, this buddy that popped this bird. And he's like hexing me and like standing in my crease and like getting in my face. And I'm like, get out of here. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the game. And and I end up standing on my head. In the first period, I'm like, great. And second period, I skate out. The bird is in my crease, like hexing me again as I skate down. And I'm like, kind of like, get out of here. Get out of here. So the whole game, every time I came on the ice, the bird was hexing me. So fast forward, we win the game. I get first star. It's unbelievable. Like, I actually remember, like, like making saves feeling good. So after the game... I go into the dressing room and Smitty is sitting in my stall and he's like staring at me and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, ex I'm expecting him to be like awesome, great job. And he goes, 
I need to talk to you in the, in the hallway. And like, he's like dead serious. So, um, hallway, and I'm kind of like, hey, what's up, you know? And he's like, uh, he goes, if that bird is there on Thursday, and I, I, I know I'm going to swear you can hand in and out, but this is what Billy Smith, uh, this word for word, if that, if that bird is there on Thursday, you fucking run him over. And I was like, what? And I'm like, I'm like, what? I just got for He goes, don't you ever let that bird go near your crease again. And I was like, uh, I just got first star. Like I, he, had, he couldn't care less if I stopped. I could have stopped a hundred shots that night. The bird was not allowed near my crease. So this is Tuesday night. I have, I don't think I slept that night. I was like, oh my god, like what does this even mean? Like, is the bird gonna be there? I hope Butch doesn't start me on Thursday. Like, I I practiced the next day. I was skating around like a zombie. I swear to God, I didn't sleep a wink. And Butch skates up and he goes, "You're going, you're going tomorrow." And I'm like, oh my god, like I'm hoping that the bird is like not working Thursdays. Like all I can think about is this stupid bird. Like not even. Like, hey, I need another game, another good game in that. I get out there in the first period. I swear, I think they got four by me. I came out, like the bird was doing its thing, and I just kind of was trying to focus. And they got four by me. I should have been pulled. And I kept looking at the bench like, I'm I'm toast here. And I swear to God, Smitty must have told Butch to keep me in. So I, as I skate out for the second period, that bird is down in my my crease like hexing me and i'm like to hell with this i skated 200 feet as hard as i could and i ran that bird over like i i have i the bird went flying into the corner and 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 the crowd went nuts they were screaming at me and like <laughs> and i'm like who's in that that costume it could have been like a 65 year old man it could have been a criminal like a young girl I'm like, I just destroyed this bird. I gave up seven. We lost like 7-1 or something like that. After the game, again, I'm almost crying. I go into the dress room. He's sitting in my stall and he's smiling. And I go, he, he takes me outside. He's like, that's how you get respect in this league. That's how you earn respect. He's like, good job. I'm like, I just gave up a touchdown. It couldn't have cared black. It was... Like that was yeah. my first kind of like that's amazing taste. My taste of like you know the mental aspect of how you carry yourself and stuff. But like the anxiety and the mood swings I had within two days of being in the AHL, one on first star, the other one on the worst player on the ice. But yet it was like all about how I conducted myself. Sounds really interesting. I'm still submitting that story years later. And he just laughed about it like. I was almost like he did like yeah. Judith, yeah. Judith Denny, like when people are at games, they send me pictures of Buddy the Puppin because I've told that story a million times. And uh, so it's kind of funny. That was the mental aspect of it. I mean, the, and that's that's pro hockey to me in a nutshell. And it's drastically changed since, you know, you've retired, I've retired. Um, obviously, players are handled differently. But to think of that as like one of your first experiences and then, you know, anxiety was the same with me too. Like it, it literally consumed me on the inside. It was just like a volcano waiting to erupt until it stepped on the ice 
And then the game just kind of took on its own. But learning how to deal with something like that when you're like, that's hard to comprehend. That's hard to process. And then on top of it, it's like, what do you do? Because you're just trying to like show up, right? It's not like anyone's giving you any tools. Be like, all right, well, this is how you could handle this situation. You're just trying to figure it out all on your own because you're like, I don't want to go to anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone about this. But I think my goalie coach is crazy. And everyone else seems to be on the same page. But if you talked to somebody back 30 years ago in hockey and said, I'm feeling anxious and you're a goalie, that's a, that's a guarantee to not play, right? Like if, if, if you started venting those feelings and being like, I'm feeling a little bit anxious, I got butterflies. Cool. We don't trust you anymore. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd always live by the mantra. You had to fake it to make it right. like, you, you know, you had to be like, and I look back, I've got plenty of regrets. When I was a, an anxiety guy to a point where I had my gear lined up, of, you know, perfectly for the game, I used to stare at this dot because I thought that I would always choose a focal point to stare at. So in my mind, I would be like, it was me trying to find the puck through traffic. So I would stare at a dot, like I would take, I would do exercises. When I was 17 years old and I'm 51 now, I read this book called Peak Performance, and it was a mental. Uh, it was all about mental imagery, which people do nowadays. You know, it's, it's exercises they do. I was lucky enough to have it recommended to me by a former goalie coach, a guy named Warren Stralo, who was a legendary goalie coach with San Jose. He worked with Kipper. Well, I worked with Warren. I worked with Warren for four days when I was 17 years old. And I learned more in four days than I did from any other goalie coach growing up. But a lot of it was how you, how you approach the game. So I read this book and I made notes and, and goals and stuff like that. And you're right, it's how you perceived, but I always wanted in my mind because as you were talking about Curtis, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. I like to joke a lot, but, but I didn't, I never wanted to do that before the game because I wanted the guys to see that I was serious about the game. So I used yeah. to have a, a starter's mode and a backup mode. The backup mode was I was very talkative. I was I would talk to guys, try and engage them, get them ready for the game because that's how I felt I was going to contribute. When I was starting, I didn't say a word. So people yeah. like there was there was you know starting Jamie and backup Jamie and and guys I think it made them uncomfortable because they're like oh we can't talk to Jamie today because he's starting. Where in my mind I would be sitting there making jokes, going through the same thing. But it was like, I got to show these guys like, that I'm not the class clown right now, that I'm not, I'm all business tonight. And to me, there was a fine line. And not until later in my career did I kind of get comfortable with it to the point where, you know, I, I did have trouble sleeping night before a game because I would think the game and who am I playing against tomorrow? And, you know, this guy's got four goals in the last week. You know, I, I was always a researcher. So I, I don't know how many times I would get in my own head, go like, this could go south really quick. Like I, it was almost like this doomsday and, you know, Curtis, you and I, I you know, at, after getting to know you, you, you had that, but I, what I was better than I was. Like I, you had better skill set. You were bigger, way better shape. Like you were more of a, a better pro than me. So I, I was never worried about that. I was more just worried about like, are you, you know, I, my philosophy as a goalie coach was the relationship. Like, are you okay? And like, how are we doing? 
yes, some technical pre-scout and stuff, but it was more, I felt, and I still feel in today's world, everything I do is about relationships because I get into business with people I, I trust and I have a good relationship with. It may be sometimes I've had some failed projects, but not from a lack of believing in that person and having that passion and having that relationship. And I feel like coaching or anything you do in today's world is about trust and relationships. And, you know, I, I like I say, along the way, man, I could tell you story after story of being 12 years old, playing against like a, the Notre Dame Hounds and not sleeping the night before the game. I'm 12 and like thinking like these guys are going to rinse me tomorrow. There's going to be a WHL scout that's going to take me off your list. Like that's, I, I had it my whole life and you know, it, it, I, I managed it a little bit better later in my career. I hired a psychologist and he was Grant Fierce guy. And I ended up putting, if you look at my wrists, I've got like trigger words on my wrists and inside, like on all over my body. Like, and they were like, they were like, now they're, now, you know, now they're embarrassing. Like kids are like, daddy, that's very weird. Like everyone's. Yeah, the trigger words are like inner peace, karma, um, character, perspective, you know, integrity, you know, like things that would help try and calm me down before a game. I would always try and think like perspectives. Hey, you know, if you have a bad game, the sun will come up tomorrow. But like I would try and calm myself down. Those were things that I developed later in my career. But I think of all the countless hours and moments that I wasted worrying about stuff but i i look back and think maybe it made me a better player because i was prepared for every moment i stepped on that ice because i i think i was a really average goaltender like talented but average you know and fast like that was my ceiling at the nhl but i feel like my mental preparation i feel like my work ethic all the things that i brought to the table kept me there for many years so, Jed, would you would you call that like a competitive edge? Would you say that 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 anxiety gave you like a competitive edge because you were aware of it? Or, I mean, you just said it; it made you better. But there are some people that I think take that anxiety and look at it and go, "It made them worse." Maybe, maybe if they hadn't been dealing with that, they would have been able to perform at a higher level. I I, t- I think, and I don't know, Mac, how you felt, but I I think there were nights that made me better and nights that it made me worse because I was tired. Like, like, mm-hmm. not, yeah, like, extreme. Like, wow. Like, you want to be mentally sharp, but you've lived the game 400 times in your head before that puck drops. And then you're like, like, yeah, but that night, like, maybe you got the legs, but your mind isn't as sharp. But I think there were other times where you're so focused, you're like, I'm going to drag myself into this game. But I don't know. I don't have that answer. But I, I would look back on it now and say, like, maybe there's a balance in there. Where yes, you are, you you're excited, but it doesn't paralyze you. I feel like there were times where maybe I was slightly, you know, off a bit because it's like I was too rigid, too too wound up, too overthinking it instead of going, you know, I there were times I I would look at it like this, Jamie, like yeah, yeah, like I I think you and I are wired the same in in many aspects. Um, but how I look at it is like you get so amped up for that game. And like you said, you exert so much energy that once that game was done and usually like, you know, you probably had seven to 10 days before your next start. Right. And I think this is where we'll see like some guys 
they're a great backup. They come into the league and they can do the job really well every two weeks. And then all of a sudden when they try to kind of level up and become that guy who can play three, four out of five games, it's hard to keep that same intensity. And I think the thing with the NHL, and this is what makes these starting goalies so impressive, is is their ability to kind of do it again and again and again. And there's just a consistency that I personally felt I was never able to attain that level. I could attain it for games, but I would always kind of level off and then the energy would kind of drop off and then I would hit that wall. And so that's, you know, part of it, when I look back in my career, I'm like, that was the hurdle that I was never really able to overcome. I could get up, have one or two really good games, and then I would kind of, because I couldn't get the energy level, right? You know, the mental side of it was just, it was too draining for me because like you said, you're you're walking through this game over and over and over. And it was almost a relief once it was done and you could just, you could relax, right? Or those those nights where it was your off night and you just kind of got to be loose and be around the guys and feel like you were really a part of the group. But those games you were playing, like it's funny you mentioned that focal point. It's like I always had paint jobs where I had a specific spot on the helmet that I would stare at. And the only thing I would check during an intermission was the clock to see where I was at when coach was coming in. And then I, and then I would get dressed five minutes before and I would just stand in a crouch five minutes before the game. And it, but the energy and the, the just thinking about so many things, how the mind just kind of goes and goes and goes and you couldn't slow it down. You know, the only time it ever slowed down was when you were physically active and playing the game itself. But the lead up to the games, the night before the games, all that stuff was just, man, it, it took so much. It took a ton out of you. You're, you're describing everything that I think a lot of us go through where I look back mm-hmm. on it. And maybe if we would have been and better, better management of it earlier in our career, it might have given up opportunity to not be just a short-term starter, maybe to be a guy who could play 45, 50 games because you, you would have a formula as to like, okay, this is what I need to do to get to that level. Where right. you're right. There were times where I lived the game, got through it, played amazing. And then that drop of was like, I gotta do this again two nights from now. Or, you know, like it was just massive swings and massive down, like it ups and downs, the physicality and what it dragged out of you was exhausting. And man, you know, add add on top of that, and I fully admit, like, you know, I I'm 26, 27, 28, single idiots off the ice, boozing with the guys, going out, doing what I, and then it'd be like, okay, you're not even taking care of your body probably the way you should have been, and then you've got a call on it. So I, there were times where I could give you five games in a row, but the sixth one I couldn't give you. I just over, like, I, it, it, you're right, it, you know, the cycle would just be too much, where, and you know, Curtis, you played with some great goalies. I did too. Those guys had the ability to just not. Now, I always say, is it the chicken or the egg? They had the ability because and the confidence. They knew, hey, I'm going back in if I have a bad night. You know, like I, I, right. I know. And whereas I, I felt one bad night. That was one more week that I didn't play. You know, that the trust level would erode. Where if I felt like I was, you know, super comfortable in a role. I would have found more of kind of a rhythm, but I could give you short-term starter minutes. I couldn't give you starter minutes just on my, based on my preparation, my body, the way I was in my lifestyle. I think there were a lot of factors that came into it. 
And do I have regrets? Yes. But I, I think at the end of the day, I don't have regrets as to how hard I worked and, and my friends and some of the things that I did to become a good backup. Like that, that's special. Like you see, to be a backup in today's world and be 38, it means, and you weren't a starter at any time in your career or not really, that means you're you're a special person and you bring something to the table. Like Ryan Elliott, I, I comes to mind, like that's a guy who's, you know, I think at some point he was a starter, I'd have to look. and But like, that's a guy who really developed into like, I found a little niche, found a little role. And he's, and he's hanging on by a thread right now. I don't think he played very well down the stretch. But at the end of the day, I think he's, he's, he knows exactly what it takes to, to kind of, you know, hang in there. And honestly, the anxiety part, like, it, it, it it's real. It's real. Okay. Well, let's talk about one more individual that you and I both crossed paths with. And this guy struck fear into my life. And I'll share this story before... Um, you get into maybe one of your own from the past, but uh, my first stint in Calgary, David Marcoux was our goalie coach and uh, Daryl, Daryl was coaching the team at the time, Daryl Sutter. And so I remember going in for a game. It was an exhibition game. I didn't play great. And Daryl calls me into his office the next day and he looks at me and he says, Mac, do you want David Marcoux to move to Omaha? Omaha was the farm team at the time, my first season. And I said, no, I, I don't, I'm not really following where you're going with this, Daryl. And he looks at me and he says, listen, if you play like that again, I'm going to send David Marcoux to live in Omaha, Nebraska with you for the next year so he can help you figure things out so you don't ever put a performance like that out there again. And it was the most, you know, just level-headed, super even and, and I love Daryl. Like we, we had some great interactions over the years and he's, he's always been great to me, but the delivery and just the intensity and everything that comes with just kind of being in that environment, it's, it feels like you're walking on eggshells. Right. And, you know, I know you, you two have a long history together. You played for him, I believe in Calgary. Yeah. So yep. give us a Daryl story. Cause I, you know, I honestly, I respect Daryl. I mean, it's it's unfortunate to see what's gone on in Calgary here, but um, obviously a very very successful coach at the NHL level, but just a a little bit different uh, vibe that he gives off. Well, Daryl is old school, obviously, but the I mean, when coach of the year last year, this year, what happens is those, especially those old school, the Harvard coaches have a shelf life. That's it. Like there's, and and in today's world, I don't even know if it's two years, three years. Like it might be one, like, hey, you're one and done. Because the one thing I got to know about Daryl is he treats like that exhibition game that you would have started. He treats it like a game seven of the Stanley Cup because that's how he right. everybody wired. And so that... When if you ever get deep into a playoff run, it's habit. So he he didn't like the, hey, it's only exhibition. Like it doesn't mean it. He didn't like the, you know it's a Tuesday night uh, against Arizona, like uh, uh, in November. Like I remember walking into the drastic room, and Daryl, as you know, would have the whiteboard and be filled with stats and matchups and everything because he'd be sitting there. 
and have all of this. He was an analytics guy before the analytics people. Like he was really into stats. And so I remember we were playing a Monday night against Phoenix, not even Arizona. And he had all of the like writing matchups and numbers and everything and coming into the room. And I wasn't started that night. It was, uh, it was Kipper. And before the game, he was just spitting fire. Like, I'm like, you know, there's no rivalry. It's November. Like, yes, we're going to come to play. But he's just like, Jerome, you haven't scored a goal against, Air, you know, against Phoenix in eight games in this building. Like, he had all these, like, and it's because you're Cam Luke's buddy, Shane Doan, you guys are good. You know, don't touch me and like and, and like, but it was like a calculated like, hey, like I'm gonna I'm gonna find a nugget here to hit a nerve or press a button, and it was never like the one thing I loved about Daryl. It would just be easy to go after the backup goalie, the seventh defenseman, the fourth line winger. Instead, he would go, I'm gonna take the best player and point something out and say. Are you gonna? Are you gonna drag us into a war tonight? And Kipple, by the way, Kipper, you haven't, you know, you haven't won against Phoenix in four games, and here's your numbers. Like, and it was like, okay, it's on tonight, and like, you know, that night, I don't even remember. I know we won. And I'm mm-hmm. shocked that Biggie didn't have like two goals and maybe fought somebody or did something. But it was Daryl's ability to identify the situation where maybe it was a bit of a sleepy night and he wasn't going to let it be a sleepy night. Now, that was the year that we we ended up being a very close full team went to the thing. We got traded at the gut line. Uh, but, you know, I was a full part. My heart was a big part of that team. And, you know, Daryl just had the ability to, like, sure, press the right button. Now, again, can you do that 82 games for five years straight? It just doesn't, I, and especially in today's world, I just don't think you can. But back then, there was this, like, you know, he loved him, he loved Kimber and showed them respect. But it was also like, I'm going to show you, like, you need to be our best player or we have no chance of winning tonight. So that was one funny one. I think you guys were talking, we were talking yesterday. I don't know if you want me to tell the app, like the grading story. I could tell you, tell you it a quick, very quickly. Um, we are, Roman Turk's my partner. And Roman is like, I, his nickname was large, six foot five, you know, Czech goaltender. Super funny, like super funny, pretty laid back and optional. So that morning we were playing Washington. We had an optional practice that morning and Roman didn't, he took his option and he wasn't playing very well. And so we, we end up like the first period, we give up three goals and he doesn't pull, pull Roman, but he comes in and gives the dressing room a jolt. And he's like, let's get going. Let's get going. First minute of the second period, they score to make it four nothing, and he looks down at me and like, "Get in there!" So I go in. 
and off the draw, I make one of the best saves I've ever made in my career. Like this glove save, Peter Bonder has a one-timer off the draw and I rip it out the air. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm, I'm in the game. I'm feeling pretty good. Glob <laughs> that off that next draw, the puck goes down by the goal line and they throw it toward the net and it hits like, you know, as you're sealing the post and stand up goalie, it hits the, the, the curve of my B and, and it goes in like terrible goal. And look up, and Roman's coming back in. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not good. Like, so that made it five, five, nothing. And we survived. Like, I think at that point, it, it ends up like six, nothing after the second. And after the second, Daryl comes in. And I, you know, so now he's pulled Roman and then pulled me and put Roman back in. And he comes in and he goes, Roman, you could give up a hundred tonight. You're not coming out of that fucking net, or said something like that. And I was like, "Oh God!" Like we're we're in one. We end up losing, I think, seven two. And you know, Ratton weren't a good leader. He's like, "Guys, you know, let's all go meet for a beer." And we went to Red Sox. One beer turned into a hundred. We ended up, you know, solving the world's problems that night. I get to the rink the next morning, and Jimmy Playfair comes in and he goes. Daryl wants to see you. And I was like, oh, this is not good. And I walked in and Daryl's got that whiteboard in his office. And I sit down and he's like, man, I just want to talk to you. And I go, okay. And he goes, um, I keep preparation for games. And I go, what? I think it's pretty good. He goes, yeah, good. You know, he goes, first, give me an A. Puts an A down. Pretty preparation. He goes, uh, how's your conditioning? And I go, oh, I've been working hard. And he goes, yeah, I see you working hard. Like, what's conditioning down? I'll give you a B. He goes, it always can be better, but, you know. And then he goes, how are you in the room? Like, how you know, how are you? And I go, well, I think I'm really good. But yeah, I think you're in the room, too. You know, in the room. And he goes, coming off the bench, you know, coming in cold. And I go, I'm just about to go, well, I think, fuck it, F. And it's like, right, this is the <laughs> And I'm like, oh my God. Like, and I go, but, but Daryl, he's like, you got nothing to say. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and I swear to God, I just froze. And I, you know, I'm older, but like the Flintstones, when Fred Flintstone would just shrink and walk underneath the door, like, I, that's how I felt. I walked underneath the door. And yeah. I was so rattled. And he made a point, and it was funny because. Yeah, all he wanted me to be, I don't think he knew that I wanted to, like, I, I really took pride in coming off the bench. I took pride in stuff. And I, I, I allowed a crappy goal. And, and it, it we, we had no chance of coming back. Like, and Jimmy Blanford came in. Oh, I was rattled. He goes, you know, Daryl, he sits and watches for a month. He goes, you know, wants to, you know, press buttons. He goes, like, just be ready for tomorrow's practice. Be ready. And the best part about it is he started the next game. And I think he nice. had the opportunity there. And but you want to talk about anxiety leading up to a game. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's all but it certainly wasn't, you know, I said hold on, my earphones are dying, of course. Um can you guys hear me? Hold on. Yep. Hold on. Yep. We got you. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, so um, Daryl just that added to my anxiety, even though I had anxiety. So 
but I was ready for that game and I played well. So at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's it was on me to be better. And I certainly had a rough night that night. But like I say, it's a Daryl. Daryl was amazing, but there were some funny stories about him, like good and bad, like um, where the other thing I would say is he always had your back. Like if you yes. felt like the, me- the media was getting on you, he would all of a sudden like distract the media away from you into him. Like he was a, like he's, I would call him a foxhole guy. Like he, he cared about like family. He cared about like everything that came with it, put it that way. Yeah, it's it's tough to be a leader. It's tough to, you know, be the coach of a program when you have 82 games, eight exhibition games, and then a potential 20, 28 more games, and you're playing every other day in an NHL schedule. And it's always remarkable, like, how these you're always trying to push buttons. Because like you said, it's, it's really hard to find that level. You know, you can get away with it in the minor leagues, right? And you can you could waltz back into a minor league game and, be half there and still perform well. You know, any NHL goalie that's played for any amount of time can always find that level in the minors, I feel. For sure. But to be able to do it at the NHL level, there is, you know, mistakes are costly, mistakes are up on the board, and trying to be a leader to get all your players and to have that group push that envelope consistently, it's incredibly challenging. Not to mention trying to lead a room full of people that are culturally come from different backgrounds, motivated in different ways, have different different stories, more so than I think a lot of other sports. And now you're trying to bring that group together and find that that team culture and then lead them to the, you know, to the to the promised land, right? Like the challenge is how do you relate and motivate people that that are all individuals, you know? I was I always felt like the toughest part about being a coach, again, it comes back to relationships. You can be a tactical coach, but some guys really need, you know, a pat on the back. They need to be propped up. Other guys legitimately need a metaphoric, not a real, like kick in the ass. Like they need to be motivated in different ways. Um, and again, I know tactics have changed as the world has changed. And you have to be able to adapt. If you are an old school coach, you have to be able to adapt to the new school athlete who wants more answers, who is more prepared. A lot of these athletes probably have talked to somebody on the mental approach. So they arrive at the NHL at 18, 19, 20, and they already have some some mechanisms in place to handle some of the duress or or maybe they're just brought up a different way and you have to be able to adapt to that i've got friends that coach in junior friends that coach in the minors and then certainly friends that coach in the nhl and they say jamie like it's everything is about information now people want to know the kids ask why why are you doing this why is this happening why and and he said like you have to have answers and you have to have their trust or else they they have they all have skills coaches and you know every goalie's got a goalie coach that they defer to not even the team's goalie coach it's somebody else so you have to have again I come back to relationships and how you manage them and you know we've seen a shift over the last couple of years I mean Curtis you're quite re- recent so I'm sure you notice the difference between you know a guy like Daryl Sutter and then maybe I don't know how Coop coaches or you know. Brindamore, somebody that like, you know, a lot different, 
thought process and, and everyone has their own style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really remarkable, just the shift. And I think, honestly, the, I mean, one of the best things for me was in being that backup goalie, like you said, you wear four or five hats, right? And I struggled early on in my career and how I was supposed to fit into a dressing room as a backup goalie. I didn't quite understand that rule. You know, I didn't have your personality and just being able to go around and joke with the guys. Like I was locked in and dialed in. But when it's not your night and you're still locked in and dialed in, it's not a real good look, right? Like it's not something that was needed in the room. And I never became like the jokester of a room. But at the same point, the relationships that I formed with teammates and coaches is what really kept me in the league. You know, and it's it's such a underappreciated role, but it was so critical because when you're dealing with um, elite players like Vasilevsky for the last couple of years of my career, the relationship and the conversations that we had in between games, I think was so critical and I'm not taking credit for his success. He's a beast of his own, but at the same point, you're kind of just walking this line and, you know, making sure the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low. And, yeah. you know, that, that role is so important. Obviously it's, it's kind of like a, a dying breed right now, the veteran backup goalie. I think everybody wants the, the youth understandably that can play some games and, maybe take over in a pinch, but, um, you know, watching guys, like you said, Brian Elliott, super fun to kind of see him still kicking around now. I think he's 38. Um, you know, it, it's impressive. It's a, it's a tricky role to do. That's for sure. So, yeah. So Jim, really, would you, would you say, would you say that, uh, players today, because they have more information, are they mentally tougher than players from 30, 40 years ago? I mean, what what is the what is the difference? Because I think players today are more open to talk about stuff with with trusted agents, right? Trusted people. I, Whereas, yeah, I wouldn't say thirty years ago, yeah, it was just tight lipped to talk. I wouldn't say mentally tougher, but they're they're better equipped to handle. Okay, I, I think there is better better information, uh, more information, maybe better mechanisms in place to handle. You're right. Like 30, 40 years ago, I just did my thing. Like I was surviving, um, you know, you and surviving's the wrong word because I, I never once did I ever feel like I was in trouble or, you know, in a bad, I was always, right. if I was in a bad spot, it was my doing. Like it wasn't right. anybody else's doing. I never, I was lucky. I'm not one of these ones who looks back and shits on the old, you know, the old guard. Like that's what we knew. Like keep in mind, I I grew up. We had a station wagon with a seat in the the back that faced back, and I never wore a seatbelt. And you know, like like people smoked on planes. Like education, you know, like it was different. Education has helped people to grow and to be better. I'm a better person at 51 than I was at 41 than I was at 31. I hope. But it's because I learn and I try and adapt. Right. So I would say the the mentally, you know, it was tougher back then in essence because there wasn't as many avenues to to kind of, you know, put in place some of the uh, things that maybe I felt I needed. But it wasn't from a lack of like somebody who didn't care. It just, we just didn't know. Or maybe, you know, it was. So nowadays there are things and is it, overboard i don't know it's arguably but now 
you know, people are more focused on head injuries. They're more focused on mental health. They're more focused on things that could help people uh, achieve maximum performance. Where back then, and and Curtis probably at the beginning of your career compared to the the end of your career, there there were now mecha- mechanisms in place to to help you cope or at least some resources that you didn't feel like you were on an island if you did reach out for help. So, you know, I I, I reached out for help when I was 30 years old with a sports psychologist, but that was a guy who worked with Grant Fear because Grant Fear had some, uh, you know, well-documented off-ice issues. So he was working with somebody. I got to know him because of my relationship with Beersy, and then I retained his services. Then I said, I'm going from a President's Trophy winning team in St. Louis to an expansion team where I know I'm going to lose a lot. How am I going to cope with this? That's how I laid it out to him. And we ended up working well together. Uh, and, you know, to a point where I, I actually ran into him about two months ago because he's working with an NHL team. I ran into him at the rate. And obviously we lost touch. I don't work with him anymore. But he helped place some, I guess, a, a, a pathway forward for me. And and I, I don't just use it in hockey. I use it in life. I use it in things where, you know, you put you put mechanisms in place where you, to help you deal with some of the anxiety and stress that you do have in your life. So um, I think that's the difference, Dave. It's not like I don't look back on it and say, that was bad, this is good. I look at say, at that time, I did what I could because that was what was available to me. I don't know how I would translate it to today's athlete because I, I just wired differently. Uh, yeah, I would I be more in tune with my body, yes, but hammer phones would get me would have got me in trouble in today's world if i was doing what i made back then all very fast for sure i used to openly smoke at the bar i don't think i could do that anymore if i was an nhl athlete i'd be behind the bar pouring smoking a cigarette pouring my own drink and you know i don't think that would go over on social media in today's world not so much not so much everybody's everybody's very guarded in that respect yeah yeah, that's great. Great insight, Jimmy. Thanks uh, so much for for telling stories and sharing time with us, and 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 talking about the mental spin on all those experiences and everything. Because again, like we've said in this podcast numerous times, everybody has got personal story. It isn't always rosy. It isn't always about the wins and the banners and the and the poster uh, the poster look. Sometimes it's it's a little bit dark and a little bit uh, not the not the best, and sometimes self deprecating. So uh, again. Great, great, uh, great hour. Uh, thanks again so much uh, for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Hope we can do it again. Maybe a follow-up. We'll have some fun with it. Uh, I enjoyed it. The hour went quick, so I, we could, I'm sure we could sit here for eight hours and tell stories and laugh it up, but uh, oh, yeah. we all got to get going. But uh, appreciate you guys having me. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate is intended for private, non-commercial use, and the views presented by your hosts or guests do not reflect on any agency, company, or organization that they work for.